Welcome back to another episode of The Cast of Us, an untitled HBO's The Last of Us podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but maybe the fungus got him, Eric Marchin. Yes, if you can hear the sound of my voice, <laughs> I uh, have the flu. It's not COVID. I tested multiple times. It's not um, cordyceps. No, it's just, uh, you know, get your flu shot because I, I think that if if I didn't have that, it would have been worse. So all I really have is just kind of, you know, an achy body and sore throat, which is ironic because the one thing I need the most in terms of doing, you know, this and, and Rogers is my voice. <laughs> it's the, and that's that's where I always <laughs> you got- get sick from is it, it always goes to the throat yeah. first. So. But you got that that nice raspy voice for this. Yeah. So and you know, last week's episode broke everyone. So I feel yeah. like we're all just kind of a a pool in a mess of of our own bodily fluids of, of crying and, and <laughs> hey, that's a bodily fluid. Okay, it is. Yeah, <laughs> um, to be fair. Um, and uh, if you're joining us for the first time, uh, this is a show we do each week at 10 p.m. Eastern, right after the newest episode of HBO's The Last of Us. Eric and I are two film critics and podcasters. We have a couple other shows called The Untitled Movie Podcast and Untitled Movie Reviews. I am a hardcore Last of Us fan. Eric is brand new to the world of The Last of Us. And each week we break down the newest episode step by step, scene by scene, and kind of give you all the little details, little character moments and things that we noticed in that week's episode. Today we are talking about episode four, uh, directed by Jeremy Webb. Uh, It's it's a hard thing to follow last week's episode, Eric. But um, how did you feel about this week's episode of The Last of Us? You know what? It's 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 a it's a good episode. It's it's mostly, I guess, you know, like if you're looking at it from the point of view of only having watched, you know, the four episodes in total, it will feel like the most as as filler, um, I think. But then it's also going to be an interesting conversation to have once we, you know, review episode five, because it is a two hander in a way, uh, you know, a companion piece. It, It feels like it's one whole you know, uh, extended, um, yeah, movie in a, a weird way. Yeah. Five, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's Dune part one in, in, in a weird way. Um, yeah. but, but I You're think it's, wrong. but I think it's really good. And, and again, like, I think it sets the stage in a way that it's like, like, again, you'll appreciate it more once you get into episode five. So, you know, coming into this, there's, there might be some disappointment, as you just mentioned with, you know, the last episode kind of being, you know, the definitive, I think, episode of the series. And then, you know, following it up with something that is, you know, building on more of, you know, what we've seen. But my summary of it all is an uprising against Fedra begins to shed light on the gray zone in which these complicated characters inhabit. Melanie Linsky's fearsome freedom fighter is not to be underestimated. And I'll jump in right there. Yeah, like I think it it is a very hard thing to follow last week's all timer episode. Um, I'm glad everyone loved that episode too. We were I was anxiously waiting to see how people would react to it, and it seems like everybody absolutely loved it. And um, yeah, I think this is a a very good episode. Um, and I agree with you that like I think it's just a very solid 45 minutes of television. Like I don't know if there's any like you know I think fans of the game um, will kind of be interested in how they adapted certain moments that are slightly different in the game, sometimes one-to-one to the game. And I'll get into those as we do kind of the breakdown. Uh, but yeah, Melanie Linsky is the the standout in this, her introduction to as Kathleen, uh, a brand new character 
uh, to uh, the series that was not in the game at all. Um, I think it is probably this, the standout or the highlight thing in this episode. Like um, I think, you know, it has a, a sort of a, a, one of the more actiony set pieces with the car crash and the shootout with Joel and stuff like that in the, in the gas station. Um, it has some good character moments with Ellie that they've kind of changed around from the game as well. So like, I still think that there's a lot of really good stuff in there, but I agree with you that, you know, this feels like the first episode where you're like, okay, this feels like, you know, what we'd expect this show to be right. Like, I don't think it goes, above and beyond to be like a fantastic episode of television like last week but i think it's still a solid continuation of the story it advances the plot gives a little bit of character development and it's still just an exciting enthralling you know hour of television because like once we get to the kathleen character and what's going on in the kansas city you know quarantine zone and in that city in general i think is really interesting so yeah i still really really enjoyed this episode but yeah it is very much a prologue even with that stinger of an ending like uh, the cliffhanger ending, like obviously people who played the games know where that's going a little bit, but, um, I think it's a great ending for people and an intriguing ending for people who haven't played the games. So yeah, I think it's a very good episode of TV. Um, okay, let's get into it. We're going to go step-by-step, uh, scene by scene and kind of go over all the little details of, uh, what happened in this episode. So, uh, first off, no cold open again. So it seems like that's something we kind of, got in those first two episodes to kind of set up, you know, the backstory of, uh, of the cordyceps, you know, infection and things like that. But it's something that they kind of stopped doing, um, as the series goes on. I, I also have been listening to the official HBO, the last of us podcast, which I highly su- suggest very different than what Eric and I are doing with a step-by-step breakdown, but it has the creators of the show, Craig Mazin, uh, Neil Druckmann and Troy Baker, who is the host of the show, which he's the voice of Joel from the games. Uh, it's great. They give little tidbits on what, why they made certain choices and things like that. And I loved the one thing that they said that they were going to originally do was they took a shot of an open window and were in like every episode and was going to use that to begin every episode. And you had to like, instead of skip intro, you had to hit play. Um, they said that idea ended up being kind of dumb and they didn't end up using it. Um, but uh, it's just interesting to see that we go right into the title sequence. Uh, so after the titles, uh, we have Ellie playing uh, with the gun that she took, Frank's gun from the last episode, um, in a washroom of kind of a gas station. She's kind of looking at the gun, pretending to shoot it, closing one eye, looking at the mirror, cocking the gun, taking a bullet out and looking at it. Um, I think it's just, I mean, I think the gun you'll see later in this episode is going to be very important. So starting there, I think is a, is a good spot. Eric, at any point you can interrupt me. Okay, good, good. I just wanted to make sure that, uh, (laughs) that, that I, that I have that, you know, and, and we make that very clear that part of this is kind of doing a back and forth and sometimes, you know, that interruption is there, but also, you know, I want to make sure that Matt, you know, is the voice here because he knows, what he's talking yeah, about. Um, every time you say step by step, I kind of want to start singing the new kids on the block song. Sure. Um, but I'll try not. But that scene that. as well, and I have it written down, Dirty Washroom yeah. reminds you a little bit of like it's Bella Ramsey's Robert De Niro, Travis Bickle moment in a yep. way where it's like, you know, her kind of posing in the mirror with the gun and, you know, you talking to me kind of thing. And um, it, again, like it kind of gives you an idea that you know, this is going to be Chekhov's loaded gun or Frank's loaded gun in this case. And 
how that's going to probably come into play later on um, in this episode. So they deal with things in a way that I think they don't prolong um, certain aspects. Like they get to yeah. the point when they need to. And I think that that's really important as well when it comes to the, the storytelling where – you know they're not going to stretch out. You know the 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 weapon that Ellie has in you know her backpack for like four episodes. The and final then, act, yeah, yeah, like and and, and, and like remember that she has it, and it's this big moment at the end or something. No, like they that, they yeah. deal with those things in a very mature and and quick way. Like even again going back to the beginning of episode three, when you know Joel and and Ellie are talking about Tess, and and Ellie says, "Don't blame me for you know Tess." Yeah death and, and like like that's something where it's like that would normally be you know extended in terms of character development until later on and then they would have this kind of breakdown and falling out and then that would be the, the sort of the main sort of source of the argument um but again like it's it's very smart where it's like okay we know where to you know put these plot points and where to kind of conclude them and have those payoffs and then you know we'll talk about it more but the even though you know Kathleen is sort of the 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 guest star of the week played by Melanie Linsky um the way that they talk about Henry um and we'll talk about him more at the end of this episode and into episode five even though you, you you don't really see him much in this episode his presence is always felt and I think that that's another important yeah. aspect of it where it's like the character kind of has this sort of presence throughout the entire episode of like oh this guy is a traitor, an informant, and also you're not you're not really getting any picture of him other than the picture that Kathleen, you know, is is sort of spouting out, and that perspective is is obviously biased, you know. But but it, that's interesting as well, and and where that kind of goes into you know segueing into episode five. Yeah, totally. In the end of this one, uh, yeah, I I love how hard they're going with like Ellie being very aggressive. Um, you know, we talked about it a little bit last episode too of her kind of examining the the infected in the basement of the uh, farmer's market uh, store that they go into and, and stabbing and killing it. So I feel like it's something that they're really trying to hammer home and they're planting the seeds early for the character, I think, too, to be kind of a little bit more aggressive and kind of sees how you know, maybe gets that a little bit from Joel, but also just kind of you know, someone who's grown up in this world and, and, you know, takes not necessarily pleasure from it, but, um, you know, has no qualms with being a little bit more aggressive. Well, there's so an Ellie inquisitive quality, right? Like, I yeah. think that like, to your point that like, she is, you know, an adolescent and, and, you know, she's been basically sheltered by Fedra for all of her life. Yeah, that's true. And like, maybe the aggressive nature isn't, is it just aggressive? Maybe it's also adapting to the environment in which she's totally. in now. So yeah. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt yeah, you there. I just she... wanted to add to, to that. Stop point that you with made. that. You're allowed at any point. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay. That's the point of this. I have to keep going through plot. And then whenever we want to talk about something, please jump in. Um, so she leaves the gas station, meets back up with Joel. Um, Joel mentions that they have to get gas every hour because the gas has broken down over time. So they have to siphon it from cars. Um, Ellie goes, oh, so you guys used to travel around in these things like everywhere. He's like, yeah, you could drive for 12 hours on a tank of ga gas or something. He's like, oh, so where'd you go? And he's like, nowhere, nowhere, <laughs> like really. <laughs> um, so then he tries to explain how to siphon gas and Ellie knows that he's just kind of bullshitting and making it up. Uh, as he goes and he doesn't really know how it works. Uh, then we get the introduction of pun intended too. So Ellie pulls out this book of puns uh, that she found. 
Um, and you can kind of start to see Joel and Ellie's relationship here. Like I know they've gone through kind of a lot at this point, even in a very short period of time. Um, but we started to see it at the end of last episode and we're seeing it even more here that they're like, you know, Joel's still closed off, but Ellie's trying to get to him by, you know, just inserting some humor. Right. So like some really stupid puns that Joel hates, but obviously is kind of starting to enjoy them as we see, um, you know, I, I, at the end of this episode as well. So, um, you see, I love the shot too of their very pristine, not pristine, but like this blue truck in this sea of overgrown rusted down cars. Like I like that, the, just the powder blue on that truck driving through. So Joel and Ellie get in the car, they drive, they start to drive towards, uh, Kansas city. Um, Ellie finds a tape uh, with Hank Williams um, in the car. They put that on, which is the song from the trailer, the original first trailer, which is called Alone and Forsaken. Thank you, my friend. Alone and Forsaken. Um, Ellie finds a uh, porno (laughs) mag in the back, a male porno mag in the back. Called Breaking. Called Breaking, yeah, which was uh, clearly Bill's uh, that was left in the back seat. Uh, she makes a joke about the pages being stuck together and she asks why that they would be stuck together. Joel doesn't really quite know how to answer, which I think is, is funny and interesting because he, you know, his daughter, when she passed away was at an interesting age where he maybe wouldn't have talked about that stuff with her yet or didn't know how to right? um, where Ellie clearly knows, you know, more and, and and just says i'm fucking with you and then throws the uh, the porno mag out the out the window yeah. um so then we with get, um, i just want to quickly say ahead. with the hank williams song as well she does make references like oh is this is this something that you used to listen to and oh, yeah. it's like, <laughs> this was before even my time you know and like again like you know when i think when you're when you're younger and everything around you especially with with people but even with artifacts are much older so you always kind of associate things well maybe they know about it just because they're older as well and so with that like it's just kind of funny where you know he knows linda rodstant but hank williams is is you know something that is is way before his time so yeah but even ellie growing up in this world right like everything pre-cordyceps or pre-outbreak day to her would probably be like oh you would know about that right because you would live during that time like anyone who lived in the before times, I guess is how we put it. Um, so you get a, a montage them, a montage of them driving across all these kind of deserted cities and on this highway. The highway surprisingly clear. Uh, like <laughs> I, I, I guess maybe it's cleared off by whoever Fedra or or other people that have gone through these areas but like there were some cars broken down in certain places but like I'm shocked at how little like i feel like that's not totally believable but i can buy there's it no barriers to get over um, it you'd even think that like maybe some of the bombing would have kind of spilled over have, onto the highways yeah. you know yeah so that's one thing where it's like a very clear highway that they're driving on and stuff like that where i'm like all right suspension of disbelief someone cleared it off i don't know they pass a arby's <laughs> yes they do <laughs> which is fantastic um you do see broken down train tracks though like which is like a you know a bridge for a train that looks like it was bombed out or something happened there where the train is stopped and the and the 
uh, bridge is bombed out. Um, but as they get further, uh, Joel says like, we got to stop to camp for the night. So, um, I kind of just like this, that he just pulls off the road of, off the highway and into, um, kind of a field drives into a forest and just parks the truck into a forest. Um, so they set up camp and what I mean by camp is that they can't light a fire because it could, uh, attract raiders you know, or slavers yes, and, and that the fungus Ellie originally asked here. So yeah. 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 Basically Ellie originally thinks it's for the infected and Joel's like, it's not for the infected. It's for other people. Or she goes, Oh, it's for other people. And then he's like, are they going to hurt us or something? And he says, maybe something even worse kind of hints at just horrible things. People have been, probably doing raiders like eric mentioned as well well because joel um, also knows that and this is i think the, the 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 sort of the main theme of this episode and we'll learn more about this as we go on is that joel knows through experience of that he's yeah. what he's had to do to, in order to survive and some of the things he's yeah. done are are unethical and morally ambiguous in order to make it through a day and so what he's done, he's probably thinking, well, if I am capable of doing those things, what yeah. else could somebody else do in order to survive? And I feel like that's going yeah. to be something that this episode will be defined by where it's like that gray zone of, you know, in order to survive, you have to do some pretty horrible things, even if you are still considering yourself to be a good person. And, you know, yeah, it, it pushes totally. you and tests your limits. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, she says, uh, will they rob us? And then uh, Joel goes way more, uh, way more in mind than that. Uh, they share a can of 20-year-old Chef Boyardee ravioli. I remember having this many times, probably even up to 2003. <laughs> so uh, I loved Chef Boyardee ravioli. So good to see that it holds up 20 years later in the apocalypse. Um, they take sleeping bags to go to sleep. Uh, Ellie makes a comment about hers. That smells pretty good. Joel goes, Oh, that must be Frank's then. Um, Pill took shit in his. Um, <laughs> yeah. funny. um, I really like Pedro Pascal's, um, like kind of internalized acting in this scene as well. When they both lie down to go to sleep, like it's a lot of his performance because he's more reserved in these early episodes is a lot in his face. And, um, it's not subtle because the camera's clearly on his, you know, his his body and and is meant to be looking at how his face is moving. But like, I just like that you can kind of tell what he's thinking by just looking at Joel's face in this show. Like, that's what I really like about about Pedro Pascal's performance. Because in this moment, they both go to sleep, or they're try. He says, "Go to sleep." They both lie down, and you can kind of just see in his face that he's he's both starting to care about this girl a little bit more and that she's not just cargo at this point. At least that's what I'm taking out of it. And that he's like contemplating his feelings about all of this. And then, you know, and I think thinking about the comment that Ellie just made of going, are they going to rob us? And then he, to Eric's point that Eric just made, Joel knows what these people are capable of because it seems like, you know, when he, he's talked about his past that, um, he might have participated in some of this stuff. So you can kind of see that in his performance as he's lying there, um, not knowing if he should go to sleep or not. So I thought that was uh, great. But then Ellie wants to ask a serious question. She says a line that is a pun. Joel answers correctly. I forget what the exact pun was. Was it the, the crow in the field or something like that? I thought, um, oh, yeah, the scarecrow and... and um... Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, it was that's great. the one line I don't have written down. So no, I don't either. But it was it was, he was outstanding in his field. That's that's kind yes, of what the line outstanding was. Outstanding in his field is yeah. great. Um, so Joel answers the pun correctly. Um, I think it's just a great moment between the two, and that the pun book is weirdly the thing that's bringing them together. Um, and this episode, I think you see that throughout. So because like this is the first time I think Joel has smiled maybe in the whole series. Like it, I, I don't know if he has up until this point, but like that there's that moment where he answers the pun correctly of he's outstanding in his field, um, in his own field. And Ellie's like, you fucker like, uh, that he gets it right. And you can actually see that he smiles. And I think that's, um, really, really great. Um, Ellie is then worried that people will find them right before she goes to sleep. Joel assures that no one will find them. Um, he looks around, looks at his gun. That's, you know, a foot or two away from his sleeping bag. Um, they have an electric lantern cut, as well in, instead yes, of a fire to, to have a little bit of light. Yeah. yeah. So then we snap cut to Joel standing up and like looking out and Ellie sleeping soundly and Joel can't sleep. He's up all night protecting, uh, Ellie in case someone comes around. So I thought like just a fantastic scene overall, I think this camping scene of just them starting to bond even more. Like you did see it at the, you know, the end of the, the Bill and Frank episode in episode three, as they're kind of dealing with uh, the ramifications of that. But I feel like, you know, that moment of them leaving Bill and Frank's in the car and everything we've seen up to this moment, like you're starting to see that wall break down. You're starting to see him care about this girl. So uh, I think this is a fantastic scene to kind of set all that up. Yeah. Um, and it also helps set up uh, another important player uh, in the morning, which is coffee being brewed. <laughs> yeah, baby. Joel loves coffee, um which is straight from the game as well. I will say um some of this stuff is new like it's hard to kind of say exactly what's new and what's not because they've changed a bunch of stuff up now after the end of last episode like they skipped certain sequences like a school sequence and um you know uh, some of the more actiony moments from the bill um stuff in the game. Um I don't remember this exact camping moment but they've taken They've taken lines from different parts of the game and kind of inserted them uh, in stuff here. Um, so Joel in the morning, Ellie wakes up to the smell of coffee. A cup of Joel. Um, she, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she uh, kind of crawls over to the coffee pot that Joel's uh, brewing, opens it up, smells it, and goes, oh, it smells like shit or uh, burnt shit. I burnt think she shit, says, yep. Or something like that. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, he stayed up all night. Obviously that's why he's making coffee. Ellie f hates it. Uh, she makes a comment about Starbucks in the QZ. So then I go, wait, did Starbucks stay open in the quarantine zones after all of this? I'm like, that's like the most capitalist kind of thing. Like use your food rations to go get some Starbucks in the quarantine zone. Um, it's like a subway in the red Dawn remake. It remains yes, open even exactly. though the invading forces are coming. <laughs> Like when she mentions, are these like those Starbucks in the quarantine zone? I'm like, no fucking way. Starbucks stayed open after the fucking outbreak day. <laughs> like that was ridiculous. So Ellie kind of makes some jokes about coffee. Um, Joel discusses about trying to find Tommy in Wyoming. Um, it gives more backstory to Tommy about like how, you know, he, he calls him a joiner and, yes. um, you know, he joined desert storm and always kind of, you know, um, leaps before you know thinking about what he does, and then also a lot he of causes. The, yeah, 
the Fireflies, and that's how Joel kind of knows a little bit about that group because he was kind of keeping an eye on Tommy as he was, you know, leading this cause and to save the world. And it, you know, he calls it a pipe dream and, you know, is speaking this bitter truth as he's sipping down on this, you know, old expired coffee. And, and again, the ravioli and the coffee, like those little touches about like what you can ration and what is familiar from the old world for a character like Joel, I think really does, you know, solidify a, a comfort weirdly in those little kind of, yeah. you know, almost, you know, they're minute details, but you feel like, okay, well, you know, these kind of things survived in some way or, or another, and they really kind of give you a little bit of um, pleasure in a place that really lacks any of that. Yeah. So yeah. in that conversation, I think we get a little bit of backstory of how, you know, Joel met, Tess and what Tommy and Joel were up to and then how uh, Tommy met Marlene. It's the first mention we've gotten of Marlene, I think, unless Joel's mentioned her in previous episodes. I'm not sure. Well, Marlene, Marlene was got- in in episode one and two, right? Or, or episode two, because like she's the one that tells Joel to like take Ellie because sorry, her- not Marlene. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I'm thinking someone else. Sorry, my bad. Yes, Marlene. That's how Mar- they met Marlene and Marlene yeah. got Tommy to join the Fireflies. My bad. Yeah, I was thinking of a different character. Um, what character were you so, thinking of? Do you know? Uh, well, yeah, we'll get there. Okay, okay, I got you. <laughs> we'll get there eventually. Um, so I, I think that's like he, he, Joel starting to reveal a little bit more of his, you know is history which i think is interesting in this moment um ellie asks him like if you don't think there's hope like why bother continuing or why because joel's a little cynical in these conversations and stuff like that like she's like why bother living essentially like why bother going on so joel goes uh you go on for your family he's like but i'm not your family your cargo but tess was like family to me so i'm doing this for her so you know even though he's opening up a little bit and we're seeing a little bit of that like he as he kind of notices himself doing that i feel like he closes down again right yeah so like i feel like he 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 closes up the minute he goes i'm oversharing or i'm sharing too much with this girl you're just i'm literally just trying to get you here i'm trying to find my family my actual family my brother and then my you know partner who who passed away her last dying wish was for me to do this so that's the only reason why i'm doing it so he kind of shuts down um and then this is all the conversation in um oh so they're then they get into the truck they start to continue again um they have some conversation i think that's the conversation we're talking about here and then uh, ellie goes i'm not even tired when joel asks tells her to get some more sleep and then she immediately falls asleep which i think is cute I, I like that that's a very classic my wife Nevis does that all the time. So she's not tired when we're watching something and then falls asleep immediately. And then you then you <laughs> end up in Kansas City. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then they drive up to a uh, tunnel that um, is blocked off by uh, a, a large uh, semi truck as well as some other cars scattered around. Uh, you can tell Joel's frustrated with this and doesn't know what to do. Um, they're in Kansas City, as Eric just mentioned. Um, so, or they're trying to get it through Kansas city, essentially. Yeah. So because and Joel prefers, truck- we, we should also mention, it, it seems like Joel prefers, like, I mean, obviously he was trying to protect Ellie a little bit with not seeing the remains of all those people that were killed in, in the yeah. government genocide, but he does seem to prefer taking the long way around 
cities or sort of main kind of through lines because there will be people within and also fungus. Yeah, you he know. knows in these cities that it's the population's more condensed. It's where people are living. So they're kind of driving in the highways and on the outskirts of cities and things like that. Yeah. So because of this, Joel doesn't know what to do. They could go on foot. But then he goes, well, if we pull around, we can go through the city quickly and get back on on the highway. Um, so they kind of pull off and um, they drive around. They get lost um, in the city. We drive by a pile of like burned or or broken down, decomposed bodies. Um, the QZ, they look over and it's completely deserted. So like, um, which I don't think that they expected. Um, so they look over the Kansas city QZ is completely, you know, it, the doors are wide open. There's no one there. They have no idea what happened. Um, as they're driving through a man, uh, comes out onto the street. He's kind of waving his arms and asks for help. Uh, Joel says, we're absolutely nope. <laughs> not going to help this fucking guy. So he kind of floors it, um, knowing what's about to come. Uh, someone throws a cinder block down from on top of a building or a, a emergency exit of a building. It smashes into the windshield the window. Um, Joel kind of swerves and crashes into, a, I think it's a laundromat, um, yep. not a gas station. So uh, this is straight out of the game. They slightly changed it because I believe these segments take place in Pittsburgh in um, the video game. We're now in Kansas City instead. Um and this sequence is slightly different, but it's very much from the game. This exact thing where these raiders are trying to um, attack them uh, for whatever reason. So uh, Joel and Ellie, he asks Ellie if she's okay. She is. They get out of the car. Um, Joel grabs his gun. Uh, they're hiding behind the car. There's a shootout now of them inside the laundromat and a couple men outside of this laundromat uh, taking cover behind some cars in the street. Um, Joel tells Ellie to go hide in a hole in the wall that goes into another room. He says, crawl over there, crawl inside. Uh, don't come out until I tell you essentially, like I will cover you. They will not hit you. Um, don't worry. Um, Ellie obviously rattled at this moment. Um, she, uh, she does what Joel says. So, um, she crawls and hides in the room through the hole. Uh, Joel shoots one of the men. Um, I like this moment because it does feel ripped straight from the game. Like these gunfights are exactly how they kind of happen in the video game. And I'm surprised at how well these action scenes capture that. Like they feel very video gamey while still being cinematic, if that makes sense. I know the games are very cinematic, but um, the gameplay sometimes isn't. But they've managed to capture that really well. You know, even in that clicker moment from episode two. Um, felt very authentic to the game. And this shootout feels very authentic to the game. So when he shoots one of the guys and you hear the other guy, you motherfucker, like it's that kind of like um, non-play NPC dialogue that you hear in a video game when you shoot another character where it's like his buddy says some random line and you might hear that repeated every gunfight you get into. I felt like that just felt so authentically like the video game. So I really love that. Uh, love the Doritos machine in the um, <laughs> in the uh, uh, laundromat. Um, a guy comes after Ellie at this point where Ellie's hiding. Joel shoots that guy, but then another man attacks Joel. Brian uh, pins Joel. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Joel uh, pins Joel down and is strangling him uh, to death. Uh, it looks like actually Joel at this moment will not get out of this. Uh, so there's uh, instead of Chekhov's Frank's gun coming back into play, Ellie crawls out of the hole um, and ends up shooting this man in the back to save Joel. Um, what's even more fucked about this is Ellie shot him in the spine. It seems like, so the man is not dead. He's a young, not a young boy, but a younger man, probably in his twenties, I'd say. Um, yeah. And the performance I think is really good of him begging for his life, essentially like Joel just being very shocked that Ellie has the gun that Ellie saved his life. Um, Basically, uh, he's begging for Joel and Ellie to save him. He says his name is Brian. He's trying to get out of it. Ellie looks horrified at this moment. Um, the man's just saying, please don't kill me. I'll do anything. I'll, I'll help you. We have people. We can help you. We can trade things. He puts his knife down and says, like, I'll trade you this knife. Uh, Joel then turns to Ellie and says, get back you know, in the other room. Um, so Ellie, kind of uh, mortified at this moment, crawls. Back in and Joel, we hear him um, not waste a bullet, which I think is interesting, and go up and kill Brian with uh, his own knife. Um, which I think is a very effective way of, of making the scene more intense because the less you show, the more your own imagination kind of plays yeah. up the horrors of it. I will do disagree- a lot in this series, which I like. I will disagree with you. I don't know if the performance from the actor who's oh, really? playing Brian... I find it's a little too performative. I find that it's, it, it is, it's but... a little like it, it kind of feels a little bit too obvious with like how heightened it is. Um, I, I get the, 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 the intense kind of moment of realization that he is pleading for his life, but it's just, there's something about the acting in that scene that doesn't feel as genuine as everything else we've seen so far. Interesting. And okay. When watching that, it was one of the few things that kind of took me out of, you know, the the intensity of the moment. But then I was brought back in by Ellie crawling Joel. back through the wall yeah. and and hearing what's happening and seeing it on her face more than yeah. having to watch him commit, you know, another act of of you know survival, basically, you know, and and, and murdering somebody in order to continue to live. Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll push back again a little bit uh, on the performance just because like I, I, I do agree that it was more over the top than anything we've gotten before this. But I think with him being young in his either, you know, early 20s or even late teens, like I to me felt like that scared boy came back in and it was like to me very intense of him not being able to feel his legs. And like I, I see where you're coming from, but I, I don't know, I fully bought into it at that moment um so then after that joel comes around and says ellie you need to let me into this room when they meet back up in the room you can tell that joel is kind of um rattled by this a little bit um even though he knows they need to get out of there because um people would have heard the gunshots and things like that and and at this point ellie seems to be less phased with it than joel like at this point when Joel comes back. Um, but then they escape uh, out a side door as a patrol passes on the street. Um, quickly on this whole moment, like Ellie saving Joel is taken straight from the game. It doesn't happen this way. It happens in a different way. Um, but it is a very important moment in the game when Ellie has to, you know, 
take a life essentially you know she doesn't necessarily kill him which they discuss later in this but um she still had to use her gun on someone's and you know that comes up again where uh later but in the game it's it's very similar but it had a completely different moment so like they're still remixing stuff and bringing things ahead and just changing the pacing and changing the layout um in a very kind of interesting way here um now we cut to a Fedra prison or holding cell um, where we meet uh, Kathleen for the first time, played by Melanie Linsky, which we talked about. Uh, she's holding an older man prisoner um, and asks him uh, to mention, or she kind of lists off some names, uh, but then she does mention a man named Henry. Um, she reads some Fedra rules that are listed on the wall and asks if this was the cell where her brother was beaten to death. Uh, she says this, uh, the man that's in the holding cell ratted on her, on their neighbors and, and says now it's okay to kind of like, cause he's kind of going back and forth with her. We don't know much about this guy. We eventually get to the point where we find out that, um, he is her doctor and is someone that she's known her entire life. Um, and she threatens him with a gun, um, says like, you know, you have to tell me where Henry is, um, he's kind of chained up here. Uh, he's not really giving her a full answer. Um, this is when we find out he's like, I'm your doctor. I delivered you. Um, and then a horn goes on outside. So before we go outside, um, I like this setup here of that. We don't necessarily at this point know what's going on. We do learn a little bit more later, but like, um, of just Melanie Linsky, who's just fantastic in everything I see her in. Um, but just, just being very menacing and, you know, obviously clearly what's fascinating about this scene and, and this concept in the show and why I like post-apocalyptic stories and stuff like that. Like they're clearly people who like, imagine your, your family <clears throat> doctor, right. And now you're put in this situation where you're holding them captive with a gun because the rules are at the window and, and, he ratted someone out and, or he was ratting on his neighbors to Fedra and things like that. And these, I don't know, it's, it's just kind of insane. Like y your neighbors are doing these kind of things. And like these people you just were friendly with on your street and put in this fucking insane situation. Well, it, it, uh, it harkens back to like a world war two kind of yeah. sort of, you know, the, the, the historical elements of friends and neighbors, you know, um, Writing out people yeah. that were either, yeah. you know, Jewish or, you know, um, intellectuals or artists and then them being rounded up by, you know, the the imposing um, dictatorship and then kind of being sent to concentration camps or, you know, sentenced to death. And that kind of feels like yeah. what Fedra is. And then with the uprising, you know, you feel that animosity of like, well, you understand, you know, what kathleen is doing is wrong you know she's you know acting in the, the same way that that you know the 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 Fedra repressor the repressors have been yeah. previously but you can also understand why you know someone someone is acting like that especially as we get to know you know more of the 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 moral reasonings um behind it all but i also wanted to mention and i didn't realize it until rewatching it again because he's he's one of those character actors that usually disappears almost completely and and, he, and he's a much older man than he than he was when kind of I was a big fan of him as, as a kid growing up and watching a lot of 80s movies 
um, the doctor, uh, Dr. Uh, Edelstein, um, is played by John Getz. And John Getz, for a lot of people, will be best known as the lead in the Coen Brothers' Blood Simple. And also he oh, was yeah. the... Um, uh, the third in the love triangle in the fly. Um, he's the one that is okay, like the, yeah. the guy that basically is like, you know, Gina Davis's ex and then kind of comes to the rescue in the end and redeems himself, but then also gets, you know, vomited on by Jeff Goldblum and his loses his hand and his leg right, uh, right. in the process. And he's been in tons of stuff. Like he's, he was, um, Jesse Eisenberg's lawyer in the social network. And um, he was in Zodiac as well. And uh, he's in a lot of Kelly Reichardt movies. He's just one of those like really dependable kind of guys. But like, I feel, you know, like the best way I recognize him is with a beard and kind of being an asshole in the fly than anything else. Like even with uh, blood simple, he kind of completely disappears into kind of a meeker kind of role. Um, so yeah, it's 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 always wonderful to see people like that pop up as well. And again, I think it goes to whoever the casting, you know, director is or that department, you know, is spot on with everybody that we've mostly seen. I know I complained about the one actor who played Brian, but just in terms of even like a role like that, you know, and having a really wonderful yeah. character actor to act opposite somebody in a very small role, right? But yeah, like, who we I both. Mean, I mean, Melanie yeah. Linsky. We've talked so much about like how amazing she is in that first season of Yellow Jackets, but I mean, she's yeah. been doing it for for ages. I mean, working with people like Peter Jackson and, and with you know uh, Heavenly Creatures and kind of coming up at around the same time as as Kate Winslet and you know very underrated. And you know, you have these two amazing actors who will probably be seen you know, in this by millions of people than a lot of independent stuff that they've been doing in the last yeah. little while. So, yeah. Um. So he doesn't really tell her anything. He's basically begging her saying like, I, I don't really know anything and she doesn't believe him. But then a horn goes off outside. She goes outside. Um. The dead kid, Brian is on the ground <laughs> that Joel killed. Uh. He's been brought back to Kathleen. Uh, we then see Perry, who is played by the uh, Jeff Jeffrey Pierce, who played Tommy in the original game. So um, that's pretty dope. Shout out to them. Like we're going to start to see this a little bit more of uh, we know that Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson have roles in the show. Uh, obviously, Merle, Merle Dandridge playing Marlene, reprising her role from the game. And now we have Jeffrey Pierce. Uh, the original Tommy now playing Perry, who is a kind of mercenary or kind of second in command to Kathleen in this kind of rebels group. So sweet beard. Um, he, yeah, great beard. Um, just I, I didn't even know it was him until I think much later, where you know, I should have known based on you know, the voice sounds a little bit like Tommy's from the uh, the game, but obviously without that kind of Texan kind of accent and stuff like that. And um, uh, I just didn't clue in until later because I just didn't know he had this sick beard and, and get up. But he's he's great in this. So he plays Perry. He comes in. He has a conversation with Kathleen um, about what's going on that they don't know, you know, what happened here. They think it might be Henry, but there was another shootout with these people um, and they lost them, essentially. Um, she goes, uh does he need a doctor? Like, will he survive? Can I get, can I get him a doctor? And they go, no, he, there's no hope for Brian, poor Brian. Um, so then she goes in and shoots the doctor and you don't um, see it as well. Absolutely. Again, yeah. you know, the, the juxtaposition of not seeing Brian um, being attacked by Joel and then you not seeing Kathleen actually kill uh, John Getz's 
uh, Dr. Edelstein. I think that that's also a really interesting piece of writing where it's like the flip of the coin. It's like you don't it's still brutal and it's actually even more so because you 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 know what's coming. You know it's going to happen, but the way that it's framed in the composition and in the cinematography, it's it's more frightening. You know, having that distance between you and the person committing this horrific act, either out of revenge or um, survival. Yeah, um, it's just absolutely ruthless. Uh, she then goes outside and says, basically, Henry did this, um, like pointing at Brian and basically all of this stuff that's going wrong and saying, find every collaborator and kill them all. So then this uh, militia or rebels group uh, kind of goes out and they have the like, we the people spray painted on the side of their trucks and kind of all that kind of interesting um, uh you know, signage or kind of uh, signia that you get that we've seen kind of in those like January 6 insurrections in, in the U.S. and kind of even the in Canada here, some of the in Ottawa when they took over the streets, the uh, the trucker the convoys the, and yeah. The, yeah, the convoys and shit like that. So um, I think that's kind of interesting showing all that kind of imagery on, on the cars and stuff like that. And they're driving big Hummers and kind of tank like vehicles that they've obviously stolen from from fedra um so they're going around and basically searching um the whole town so kicking down doors looking in buildings plowing through uh, you know cars with plows and army vehicles uh trying to find whoever this henry man is um joel and ellie are then hiding in a nearby store um they said that they can wait it out until you know uh, but someone will find them soon if they stay in the same place. Uh, Ellie at this point then asks Joel if he's okay. Um, he reluctantly kind of asks her the same thing. Um, he says he didn't hear the guy coming and Ellie should, shouldn't, he basically is apologizing at this moment. He goes like, you shouldn't have had to do that. Like he obviously feels bad that he got caught in that moment and that he was in a position where she felt like she needed to come out and, you know, um, essentially murder a man um she then reveals that she does uh, uh sorry it knows what it's like it's the first time you hurt someone like that oh yeah so he's just like he knows what it's like to like have to hurt someone and he doesn't want this young girl to kind of you know have to do that he feels genuinely bad at this moment and that feels like a scene um, out of Wolf, out of logan a little bit too where yeah like he like logan there's one point where he talks about like when he's i think it's when he kind of meets those other kids later on in the movie and how you know he talks very candidly about how every kill he's ever made good or bad you know um you feel it and you carry it with you for you know the rest of your life and it becomes yeah. even more you know like there's there, there's no way that a lot of these people can see psychologists now and, and things like that so like the <laughs> no. baggage that you have when it comes to yeah. that moral ambiguity of, of what you've done in life it begins to take a toll and you know like yeah joel understands that probably better than than anybody and is also more forgiving again this is a really good this is a really well written scene because in cliched writing, you would think that like, oh, Joel would say like, oh, I, you know, thank you for saving my life, but you still shouldn't be using this gun. Let me take this away from yeah. you. And like, I wrote this down. It's like the best way to protect someone is to teach them how to protect themselves, you know? Yeah, and and that's, that. and that's kind of what Joel does in this moment where yeah. it's like, he could easily say like, Joel, like Ellie, like, 
I, thank you, but you still, I don't want you to have a gun. But he's like, no, I don't want like, you to it, accidentally shoot me or whatever. Or then, yourself, like, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's like, no, like actually you came through and, and again, like, okay, I'm going to at least teach you how to properly use this and yeah, keep you it saved in your my back. life. So yeah, yeah, you saved my life. So I do owe this to you. Right. Um, there is a moment where Ellie starts crying a little bit and uh, explains that it wasn't her first time of having to hurt someone. Um, she doesn't necessarily go into detail at this moment, but, um, you know, obviously very emotional that this isn't the first time she had to hurt another person. Um, Joel then gives the, er the moment Eric was just mentioning, he gives the gun back to Ellie and shows her how to kind of properly hold the gun. So where to place her finger, kind of how to hold it. So no one can kind of grab it out of her hand or anything like that. Um, and like, again, you're starting to see him open up. He's apologized for the first time. He's kind of showing her. He kind of goes, all right, this girl, you know, there's she knows what she's doing. She's, you know, she saved my fucking ass. She was the one who who did this. I need to kind of uh, give her some credit. So he he gives her the gun, shows her how to use it. Uh, she looks uh, pretty happy about this after that. He's kind of trusting her to have this gun at this point. Um I like the line that he says, put it in your pack or you'll shoot your damn ass off because <laughs> um, she wants to put it in her pocket. Um, and then that very nice line of like, we'll get through this. And then uh, with the reply, it's like Tiff. Um, Remember that old R yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah. RBC ad? That, we'll that's get such a this. niche reference. No one will get that except for like film festival goers. Yeah. yeah. We'll um, get through this. <laughs> yes, I do remember. Yeah. <laughs> Lily, how will you live? Ellie, how will you live? Um, <laughs> So then uh, at this point, I keep writing his name just as Game Tommy, but it is Perry. So Perry, uh, we cut back over to Perry, who comes over to Kathleen and mentions that he found a sign of Henry. Um, he brings her into an apartment building uh, through a facilities room and into an attic. Uh, they open up and go into this attic, and then there are signs that people were living there. There are drawings of kind of superheroes, uh, like child uh, like drawings of superheroes on the wall. There's some old cans of food, possibly some maybe beefaroni this time. I don't know. I didn't get a look at it, but Chef Boyardee's somewhere there. Um, <laughs> Kathleen says that like Henry and Sam must be out of food, so they had to leave this place, and it seems like Henry and Sam. I don't know if this is the first mention of Sam at this point, but um, they mentioned that Henry and Sam are out of food, so they probably had to leave this place and had to look around. But they should be around this area. Uh, so they leave the attic. They go down and they find like a sinkhole type thing in the ground, um, which then kind of grumbles and then makes some noises. And they look very unsettled by this. Um, they say that I think at this moment they say that they cannot tell. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. Um, nope. Yeah. Um, they tell they uh, shouldn't tell the others. Sorry, I'm rattled. Siri, no. <laughs> um, they say they shouldn't tell the others uh, about it. Um, yeah, I, I think it's also important to, to mention with this scene as well, you know, like you, you, you're looking at it from the point of view when you, when they're first kind of, when Perry leads Kathleen into, you know, this apartment, you're first thinking, oh, are they on the trail of Ellie and Joel? And then it's flipped where it's yeah. like, no, it's, 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 you know, Henry and Sam. And then, yeah. you know, all of the time and energy and manpower that Kathleen has, she's putting it into, you know, to, to, to get revenge and to take care of her own personal uh, vendetta. And so 
when you get to this sinkhole and you know they're talking about maybe you know like we should figure out do what something we should about do this. with it you know like and yeah and it's like no we'll just kind of leave it not tell anybody and it's like well you know the longer you leave something or you procrastinate on it the worse it gets you know and like that's oh, again yeah. something that is very telling with you know how some people maybe aren't necessarily cut out to be leaders because if you put your own personal agenda before you know the good of your community or the people that you're trying to you know help it ultimately will backfire on you and you know obviously Kathleen is more aggressive than her brother um as we'll come to learn yeah. but you know there's something also to be said that maybe you know, her own personal needs are the thing that gets in the way of her ultimately, you know, leading this group to, you know, a, 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 an uprising, but beyond that. So I think that that's really important yeah. in terms of the power dynamic and how, you know, some characters are wanting to survive, but then other characters are in need of, you know, serving their own interests. Yeah, absolutely. Um, at this moment, we cut back to Joel and Ellie. Um, I love this little moment where Joel has to boost Ellie up into the building. Boosting Ellie up to places to help you is a very important part of the video game. Um, little nods like that, which they might have already done already. But um, what's the gameplay on that? Like, what, 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 what are you pressing the, there? With, uh, you uh, hold triangle usually. I think you look up and you press triangle, and Joel goes, "Ellie, get over here!" And then he's like, "Boost like Scorpion," up and then she. And then she Get goes over, here. over and o- opens a door. So like it, it just reminded me of that. And um, which I'm sure everyone did the Leonardo DiCaprio kind of pointing at the TV thing there. Um, and that happens many times, you know, when someone like moves something out of a doorway, that's like pressing triangle over and over again or holding triangle. So, um, well, it goes to the, tr- like, it goes little... to the trust thing as well again. Right. Because in, in yeah. that second episode, you know, Where Joel, and, let Ellie go, Joel right? and Tess, yeah. Are like, no, you know, you are the cargo. And, and if anything happens to you, we're shit out of luck. And now, you know, but now with her having people, a gun yeah. and just like, yeah, he kind of trusts her a little bit more to go on her own and, and help him as well. And I know that some of that's out of necessity, but like, it still shows that, you know, maybe he would have found a way to boost himself up or something like that if he didn't want Ellie going in. Um, so at this point, um, Ellie goes, where would you be without me? And Joel goes, probably in Wyoming, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, and then Joel and Ellie, Joel says, we got to make our way up these 45 flights of stairs or as far as that he can make it because he wants a good view of the city to see how he can get out of there. Um, so... Ellie then asks how Joel knew that guy was going to ambush them. And then this is when he explains that he's been on both sides of things. So um, I I was making sure that this was in this episode, but before when we were talking about it, I didn't want to talk out of, out of tune or out of context, uh, whatever context. Um, But yeah, this is when Joel kind of explains to Ellie that he wasn't so great of a person and that he kind of, did some bad things and he's been on both sides of that. Ellie then asks if he's killed innocent people and Joel does not answer her, um, which I think is kind of really powerful. And then, um, and that's, I think they, that is the most they, important thing of this episode. Like, I think like, like yeah. again, you're seeing a character who, you know, in episode three, the brief time we see him with, with Bill and Frank, you know, having, having lunch, he, he says, we're, you know, he says that Tess and him are good people. And now, you know, he's telling Ellie that, you know, 
I've been on it both sides like and it wasn't always like that. But, but again, like it's, 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 this episode seems to be a reflection of, you know, people have a duality to them. You know, nobody's one yeah. thing, right? Kathleen was, especially uh, in this world, right? Like Kathleen was a victim and, and, and has suffered horrible loss, but now she's turned into the perpetrator and she's turned into, you know, the, the, the villain of the piece. Um, and, and, and again, you, you'll see more of that, I think in episode five as well, but th- it does seem to have this sort of complementary character development in sort of the, the cross-referencing of, you know, these two characters making their way, um, through a period of time and, and sort of, you know, trying to one, trying to maintain a situation and the other one trying to escape a situation. Yeah. Um, so they make it up 33 out of the 45 floors and Joel seems absolutely exhausted. I don't blame him. Um, 56 man. down. Yeah. He goes, Ellie goes, get up, you lazy ass. And Joel says he's 56, you little shit. Um, <laughs> so they make it into this room. Joel spreads some broken glass onto the floor to make sure that no one can sneaks up, sneak up on them while they're sleeping. Um, so you'll hear them walking on glass as they walk, um, as they walk up. Uh, so Ellie and Joel both lie down. Um, Joel asks Ellie uh, what she meant on how it wasn't her time, uh, her first time hurting someone. Ellie does not want to talk about it. Um, and Joel says it's not fair for someone your age to have to deal with all of this. And then Ellie goes, does it get easier as you get older? And then Joel goes, not really. Um, Ellie mentioned how Joel, Ellie then mentions how Joel is hard of hearing in his right ear. So she's like, are you sure you're going to be able to hear someone if they walk in? Um, and he, uh, he kind of just doesn't respond to that. Um, and then, or kind of just turns away. Um, Ellie then says a diarrhea pun that makes Joel <laughs> smile and then laugh and goes, that's so fucking stupid. Which should have been our um, quote they, for the episode. We didn't do a quote oh, for the episode. I forgot to start with a quote. Maybe I'll put it in. Yeah. Uh, you don't, maybe we did put a quote in here. Um, they laugh together. Um, and I just really love this moment because you can genuinely tell like he, he's caught off guard by the diarrhea pun saying how stupid it is laughing sharing this moment and it's just it's so wonderful them just like laughing together in this shot of them um in this you know still horrible situation but i think that's you know to your point too eric i think some of this episode is that beginning of this relationship between them of uh like this sort of pseudo father daughter relationship and um this moment of them laughing with the diarrhea pun i think is great so then they've diarrhea brings people together man (laughs) it really (laughs) does man uh they fall asleep uh and then it cuts to ellie going joel like joel wake up joel and then like joel wakes up and he sees a young boy uh pointing a gun at him and who then goes like this and goes and then it cuts to black um and the episode is over uh who is the young boy We'll have to find out. Uh, Stay tuned to next week's episode of The Last of um, Us. And then it goes to the credits and the song in the credits for this episode is True Faith uh, by, Lo- Tr- by Lottie Kessner, right? Yeah, which is a cover of True yes. Faith. Yeah. Yes, um, which is um, people from the game will probably recognize this because there was a little controversy, controversy. Um, in, the ga- in the game because they use this cover. Uh, but Ellie sings it, 
um, at one point. It might be in the credits. I forget exactly. Someone correct me, please. Sorry, I, I can't remember everything. Um, and Lottie, Lottie got mad because they didn't credit her cover because they basically took her cover and Ellie performs it or Ashley Johnson performs it. Um, and they didn't give her credit for the arrangement of the cover. So kind of just stole her her cover of it um, and eventually apologized to her. Um, so I think this is maybe part of that apology as well. Making being amends. Like, hey, like, yeah, well, we want to use your version in the credits of episode four. So and you'll get um, paid well for it. And, and yeah. yes, exactly. So um, and then that is episode four. Yep. Um, yeah, uh, you know, obviously after last week's whirlwind hour and 20 minute long episode, this felt like it was very quick at 45 minutes, but, um, you know, talking it through with you, I think there's still a lot of great character development there. Um, a lot of, uh, you know, great moments that are kind of leading up to what episode five might bring. Um, I think the introduction of Kathleen and Perry, like seeing Tommy from the game come into live action and play a completely new character. Um, I think, you know, after episode three, I, I think, you know, expectations from people who have played the game are kind of like, you know, I, I, I think people don't know how different this is going to be now, right? Like it still feels very faithful. I've talked about moments that feel ripped from the game, but like introducing a brand new character with Kathleen and a brand new section because it doesn't originally take place in Kansas City and with the quarantine zone there and and this Perry character's brand new as well. Like the Raiders in the game are just kind of goons, right? Like um they're they don't not really given a story. And what I love about this show is how we're getting you know, more backstory or more kind of side stories or more depth to characters because they kind of add these things. So obviously this is playing a big part in, in Henry's story, which fans of the game know who Henry is and, and, and that whole thing is brand new to this. So, um, I'm loving that and another unexpected kind of thing to happen in this show, but, um, can't wait for next week. Um, another fantastic episode uh, to tease next week. I think it has the biggest action set piece of the whole season <clears throat> in next week's episode. So um, stay tuned for that. Um, Maybe we should think- also mention before we go. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, again, wasn't as familiar maybe with her as, as, as you were with having played the game. Um, but uh, Annie uh, Worshing um, uh, passed away. Uh, yes. Um, yeah. Uh, recently and she did the voice of tess for yeah the uh, performance the, the whole performance yeah. capture yeah. capture yeah yeah um yeah um kind of it was like the right after that episode um like tess's big episode in the show too um just unfortunate way too young um just absolutely way too young so very very sad but thank you for bringing that up eric um yeah may she rest in peace um uh, thank you all for listening or watching. We really do appreciate it. We will be back next week, 10 p.m. Eastern for episode five's breakdown, recap, review. Um, please go check out our other shows, Untitled Movie Reviews. We have a ton of Sundance reviews up right now. You might not recognize a lot of the movies, um, but we had some 
spoiler-free conversations about all of them. So if you want to get an idea of maybe what you should be paying attention to for the rest of the year based on some films we saw at Sundance, go check those out. Uh, new episodes of the Untitled Movie Podcast are usually bi-weekly, I'll say. Just to give us some uh, <laughs> schedules whenever Eric and I can do it. I'm, we're recording these early. If you see some kind of mess behind me, it's because if you're watching the video version, I'm about to go on vacation. So I will be gone for the next couple of weeks. This is why we're pre-recording a lot of this Last of Us stuff. Um, but we will be back with new episodes very, very soon, as well as new reviews from uh, some of the stuff in January. We, we missed out in or into February uh what else do i need to plug one stop shop for everything head over to uh untitled underscore movies over on letterboxd that's where you can find everything drop us a review if you would be so kind um thumbs up that video on youtube subscribe if you haven't we really appreciate it we've uh, we thank you to everyone who subscribed because of this last of us show and other things um but we are very grateful for everyone who listens or watches um as always my name is matt Roybeck. you can find more of my work around the internet but mostly at untitledmoviepodcast.com and you can follow me on all those social medias at matt Roybeck. and i'm eric march and you can find more of my video reviews on rogerstv.com slash cinema scene and on all the social medias at em6211 until next time i like that there's both an Arby sighting and a diarrhea joke. It just bookends the show perfectly. <laughs> Bye everybody.